You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 23, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at bleedinggreennation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T. As always, here with me to break down the quarterbacks around the league and being drafted right now is QB1 in my heart. Man, I'm smiling over Daniel Jones right now. QB1 in my heart, Mark Schofield, not Daniel Jones. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield, Mark. How are you doing this fine evening, this New Year's Day of the draft? It is just a glorious day to be alive, to be an American, to be covering the football world, my dear friend Michael. And as everybody knows, we start these shows with a historical reference. And I think it's important to bring the gentle listeners and all of us together back to December 24th, Christmas Eve. 1979. Now, after some internal fighting and some coups amongst the Afghanistan government, the Soviet Union decided to invade on that notorious Christmas Eve. They sent in some 30,000 troops to topple the short-lived presidency of people's leader, Hasvula Amin. Now, the aim of the Soviet operation was to prop up their new but faltering client state, now headed by Barack Karmal, but Karmal was unable to attain significant popular support. Now, backed by the United States, the Mujahideen rebellion grew, spread into all parts of the country. So the Soviets decide they're going to leave the suppression of the rebellion to the Afghan army, and they set into the cities. And what ends up unfolding is a situation where the Soviet army has control of some of the major population centers, but this sort of guerrilla campaign with these sort of Mujahideen groups is just basically tormenting the countrysides. And so the Soviets decide that they're going to start, say, a carpet bombing style campaign to try to root out some of these guerrilla forces in the countrysides, in the terrain, that know the terrain better than you know these foreign invading forces. And this is sort of a harkening back to the Vietnam War, where an invading force just doesn't understand the lay of the land, and they don't know what to do against a guerrilla opponent that knows the terrain better and knows the conditions better, and is basically beating them out in the field. And so it's a situation where this superpower just can't find a way to win, and they have failed to learn from the lessons of the past. And if by now, gentle listener and my friend Michael, you don't see where I'm going with this one, you (laughs) might start to think about what we saw last night when a general manager in today's National Football League in the year of our Lord, 2019, drafted a one-read quarterback whose best trait is his ability to hand the ball off and a two-down shade nose tackle, both in the top 17 selections. If there isn't a better example of quagmire on the football field, I don't know what that could be. You know, it's interesting. I had called on the BGN Radio 47. Go back and listen to that if you haven't about the reaction to the Eagles selecting Andre Dillard in the first round. We also talked about the Giants. And I said, I don't know why Daniel Jones isn't getting this one read label, but he really is like 
your prototypical one-read quarterback, if you were ever to call one. I mean, zero to one-step drops, the quick games, the screens, and everything like that had more passing attempts from those type of concepts than any other quarterback in the draft. And Mark, after what felt like years of waiting, and after many months of praying to every deity in the Game of Thrones universe, the gods old and new, all of the celestial insurance paid off. On April 25th, 2019, Dave Gettleman sat down, spread out, and birthed a ghost demon that just may slay the Giants franchise for all eternity. They drafted Daniel Jones sixth overall, and I don't want to sound hyperbolic. We try to bring calm, rational analysis here on this show. But this may be the biggest man-made disaster since the Deepwater Horizon oil spill or Exxon Valdez. We're talking the North Pacific garbage patch mixed with the Chernobyl disaster colliding together in one brilliant display of fireworks on the first night of the draft. The reactions just from from Giants fans, from guys like Mike Francesca, who's like, there's no way they're taking. Oh, my God, they took the quarterback. Like just all of it was just completely brilliant it was everything i could have ever asked for i'll never ask for anything again let's let's talk about how daniel jones fits because i mean there's word out there i think i saw pat leonard talking about this but dave gettleman is saying a few things he's saying that they might follow <laughs> sorry guys sorry sorry, sorry. Need a moment. dave gettleman is saying that he saw three drives, I believe it was, from Daniel Jones at the Senior Bowl, and that's what made him fall in love. And there's some context there as far as how his practices went. Can I talk about three drives as well? Because yeah, when I saw that tweet, <laughs> I don't want to go too much into my morning routine, okay? Yeah. But I needed to get back into the shower after vomiting all over myself when I saw that because let's talk also about three drives. Now, these are more simulated drives, but to refresh everybody's recollection of the Senior Bowl, and some of us might need some more refreshing than others, the Wednesday practices were rained out. And so we were not allowed access to those except on film late at night. And so I went out to a very nice dinner with our great friends, Joe Ferriola and Owen Reese and the one and only Matty Brown and Bryce Ross, a very nice dinner at a wonderful restaurant, top of an office building down in Mobile. But then after having a martini, and I guess I had a martini, but it did not dull my thinking when I went to the hotel and watched Jones's Wednesday practice. And here is how his seven on seven started, Okay. And again, for context, he was running John Gruden's offense, a quick game offense, which you would think would be the ideal setting for this kid. It's like playing Madden on rookie mode for him, right? Hmm. His first throw, a quick speed out route to the left, and he airmails it. Just airmails it. His second throw, he locks onto a comeback route, and Nasir Adderley who is a safety now playing corner to get some reps there, reads his eyes perfectly, jumps the route, and picks it for a six going the other direction. Yeah, His early. third throw, so a.k.a. drive three now, in my thinking, <laughs> is another route to the boundary to the left side. His receiver falls down, and Daniel Jones, in his infinite wisdom of the moment, decides, I'm going to wait for him to get up, <laughs> and then I'm going to throw the ball to him. It's another pick six going the other direction. And so either Daniel Jones has a problem playing on Wednesdays, either Daniel Jones has a problem playing in practice bubbles, either Daniel Jones has a problem throwing to his left, or Daniel Jones perhaps might not be a good quarterback. I don't know which of those is the most likely scenario. And when you factor in the aspect that 72.6% of his quote-unquote drop racks were one to zero steps, 
good luck with running that in the National Football League. Now, I had to sit down for Big Blue View and write best worst case scenarios for this pick when it went down. Okay, I had to do that, Michael, at 944 on Thursday night. Now, how did I begin that? I began with, of course, the thing that dominates everybody's minds right now, Game of Thrones, right? Mm. And I talk about that quote about the Targaryens, right? There's that two sides of the coin, greatness and madness, right? And every time a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin and everybody holds their breath. Well, all of Giants Nation right now is holding their breath and chances are it's going to come up madness, on this yeah. pick. Is there a best case scenario? Yeah, let me try to lay it out. He doesn't play right away. There, yeah. okay? That's the start. When the start of your best case scenario for the draft pick is he doesn't play right away, <laughs> that's some important context. But if they are truly going to build a more West Coast type of system, you look at they bring in Golden Tate, they have Sterling Shepard, they seem to be more West Coast style receivers that they're starting to put together then you could think, okay, well, maybe there's a plan and Daniel Jones is perhaps best suited for that and he could use a season behind Eli Manning to get acclimated. I mean, trying to put it even in the rosiest of pitchers, it's still a difficult case to make. And when you start wondering if the Giants have a plan, you then see they're about 17 draft a shaded nose tackle to a defense that doesn't run a ton of stuff like that. Yeah. I just... It's so fascinating. You know, you mentioned not playing him right away. This is from uh, Pat Leonard, who, who covers the Giants. He says, Dave Gettleman said this doesn't mean Eli Manning in 2020 is out of the question. In fact, he said they could be the Green Bay model, meaning he may have taken a franchise quarterback, quote unquote, at six to sit him for three years. Doesn't rule that out. Hashtag Giants. Gettleman also said that he did tell Arizona if something happened, he'd be interested to listen, but there was no discussion about Josh Rosen. So he didn't even like make a push. For Josh Rosen, they take Daniel Jones at six. The Green Bay model was actually having a quarterback and Aaron Rodgers fall to them past the 20s to grab him. And they had Brett Favre there. At that point in his career, Eli Manning is not what Brett Favre was in his career. Fascinating to me how that all that's being put together. They might not even play him for three. Are they are they out of their minds to take this guy at six? Let's just and again, it's easy sitting here right now and to do something like this. But let's just say, okay, you could have super easy for me. Jones at six and Lawrence at seventeen, or you could have had say. I don't know. We'll just throw out some names of guys that were on the board when that pick at Daniel Jones at six was made. You could have had an Ed Oliver. I don't know, Garrett Bradbury at 17, and then trade a third rounder oh. for Josh Rosen. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe you could yeah. have done – could you have put together a, a roster with those guys, Mike? Could you coach that team to, yeah, to quote I, from Draft Day the movie? Could you coach that team, Michael? Yeah, I could definitely coach that team. And we, and we talked about yeah. it in the lead-up. Like, this this is a chance for them to, like, really solidify the other pieces and, and keep that going while they figure out what they're going to do at quarterback. And so they just panicked at quarterback and then went a totally different direction. You mentioned Dexter Lawrence. The pick at 17 was not high on him. I had a third-round grade. You can disagree. That's fine. Time will tell. And then they also pick DeAndre Baker, the cornerback out of Georgia, who has serious concerns about his work ethic that yeah. we've heard about throughout this entire process they take him as the first cornerback off the board I don't get that either after the situation that they dealt with with Eli Apple you would think maybe some culture would be a very important thing for them apparently it's not at least with that pick so just a fascinating draft 
from top to bottom for the Giants. Do you have any last word on the on the Giants selection here before we kick it over to the uh, Washington Redskins and their selection of Dwayne Haskins? If you were going to go the sort of, you know, you think about maybe the, the top three, the top four quarterbacks in this class. If you were going to go with a guy that can probably become – the next Eli Manning type of quarterback because it seems like that's the model they were going for, right? You get you draft the guy that was coached by the same guy that coached Eli Manning and Peyton Manning. Dwayne Haskins was there. Well, Dwayne Haskins is more the prototypical pocket type passer that is not a predominantly one read type guy that you could see instances of him mm-hmm. like working through stuff and you could see more advanced mental process in his game and maybe some of the execution was lacking. Well, I don't think that there was enough there to have him drop below Daniel Jones. But that being said, I woke up Thursday morning to the knowledge that, yes, there were a lot of teams outside of the Giants that had Daniel Jones as their top-graded quarterback on their boards and teams that you know were picking in there at the end of the first round that weren't going to probably address quarterback, but still. So it does seem like the league thought rather highly of him. But we do cannot help but wonder if – this will continue where the league just evaluates quarterbacks differently. I thought we were seeing a little bit of convergence of how we were viewing quarterbacks, us on the outside and the league on the inside. Maybe we saw a little bit of that with, with Drew Locke falling out of the first round. You know, because he was a quarterback that I think, yeah. while he was my QB3 in this class, he was my QB3 in this class. And I think that sort of speaks for itself. He was also ahead of Daniel Jones on my board, but we'll see you know but so maybe there is sort of a a recognition in the league that you know some of these guys that were traditionally viewed highly maybe aren't the kind of prospects we thought they were but it it is so easy to just sit here and just question what in the world they are thinking and this has been the theme of these shows since january Mm. what are the giants thinking yeah do they have a plan and i just i i did want to cue this up because I think it's just, you know, give a little insight to the gentle listeners as, as how things go, you know, in the DMs. So I want to read in, Michael, a quick reading from the Book of Hoops, yeah. volume 452. <laughs> this is chapter 275 of that volume, Draft Night, 2019, round one. And this is a quote from yours truly. Holy bleep, they picked the Shade Nose Guard guy with their other pick. Like... I was talking myself into Belichick doing that at 32 because they run so much bare front, but holy bloop, I'm an Eagles fan now. And I followed yeah. <laughs> that up by going on to the Football Guys live stream with Sigmund Bloom and Matt Waldman wearing, yes, a Carson Wentz shirt. Because if I'm an Eagles fan or even a Washington fan, as we'll get to this morning, or a Cowboys fan this morning, forget about who I picked. Yeah. Forget about who my team picked. Look who they picked. Yeah, it's looking great for the rest of the NFC East as far as what the Giants did and them their their hopes to be competitive in the future. When we come back on the QB Sco Show episode 23 here on Bleeding Green Nation, we're going to be talking about the Washington Redskins first round selection. They didn't have to trade up. Dodged a bullet there. Good for them. We'll talk about Dwayne Haskins' fit in the Washington Haskins after this. And we are back on Bleeding Green Nation, Mark. Let's talk about the number 15 overall selection for the Washington Redskins, now known as the Washington Haskins. They take Dwayne Haskins, quarterback, out of Ohio State. We've talked a lot about him. We like his his mental processing and some other aspects of his game. But overall, we were kind of felt wanting more out of his game. So let's talk about the fit there. Number one, 
I, I think it's a win that with all the stuff that we heard about coming into the draft, Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder and people taking over the draft room and, and blah, 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 that they were going to trade up into the top five and be super aggressive. I think it's a win that Redskins should feel good about that they didn't spend all that capital to go into the top five and take the guy that they were eventually able to select at 15. Maybe a bit of a risk. Because people, when Cincinnati got on the board at 11, people thought that that was going to be the move for them after Devin Bush was taken in front of them from the Pittsburgh Steelers. But again, a win for them not having to spend all that capital to go move up and get their guy. So what do you think about the Haskins fit with Washington? It's interesting because I feel like the, the offenses are different. The one that Haskins ran at Ohio State from, compared to the one that Jay Gruden that we always talk about being super aggressive in even when he has backups in there, really downfield style attacking. Do you think it's a fit or am I a little bit off there? No, I mean, I, I think it's a fit. I think this could really work. And I think that Washington deserves a fair amount of credit. It's hard to say that about a Dan Snyder organization, but I think they do deserve some credit here because they worked their board the right way. Yeah. Didn't panic. You know, they didn't sort of think, oh, we have to really get up ahead of people and make sure we get, you know, Dwayne Haskins, whether it's a three. Now, maybe we'll find out that they were trying to get up there and a deal just couldn't get done. But still, they worked their board. They sat there at 15. They could have gone a number of different directions. They get the quarterback that it seems at least parts of Ashburn wanted in Dwayne Haskins. And then let's not forget, look, I know this is a quarterback show, but Montez Sweat at the end of the first round is a player that people, maybe it was the heart condition, diagnosed, misdiagnosed, whatever, but he was a people that, a player that people thought was coming off the board in the top 10, you know, and to get him where they did at 26, yeah, they had to trade up to get him and give up a second, but that's a nice little first round for the Washington Redskins. And for Haskins in particular, I think this is an ideal situation for him because they don't need to play him immediately, but he has the talent where I wouldn't be surprised if he wins that job in the camp. Yeah. You know, because he's going up against Colt McCoy, he's going up against Case Keenum. Uh, I think Haskins can certainly compete with those guys and go out and potentially win this job early. It would not bother me. It would not, I would not fear playing him early because of that mental process. You know, people say just a one-year starter, and that's true. But when you watch him again, you see him, you know, and I mentioned plays all the time, but there was another player against Purdue, and I know they lost that game, but Purdue showed him a blitz. He adjusts the protection. Late in the play clock, they shift and show him a different blitz. He adjusts the protection again, and he has a wide open corner out in the end zone. Now he's getting blitzed. It isn't totally picked up, so he takes a shot and misses on a throw. But that's the kind of stuff you usually see from like second and third year starters or you know veterans in the NFL. Not a guy making his first full year as a starter in college. And so I love the mental approach he brings to it. I do think the scheme fit is very good for him. Mm. Jay Gruden does a lot of stuff on half field read concepts that are really quarterback friendly designs to make you read just half the field. But he does need a quarterback to be a bit more aggressive, and I think Haskins didn't do that. There are a couple of other things I do want to mention. One. He's in essence a local kid to this area. Now, I'm in the D.C. area, the Maryland suburbs. He was originally from Jersey, goes to the Bulls Academy in Gaithersburg, which is a prestigious private high school. He was originally committed to Maryland down the street here at College Park. But when they fired Randy Enzal and Loxley, the offensive coordinator that recruited him, left, didn't get the job. So he goes to Alabama. That's when he reopened his recruiting. So this is a local kid. And there's another aspect to this is that when I you know, was in the D.C. area during the RG3 era, this is a Redskins town. And this is a town that would rally behind a quarterback like RG3. They're going to love this kid. A local kid now, you can already tell, like the mood waking up here in D.C. is we got our quarterback in the future now. And so I, I think this was a great fit all around for Washington. I love it. I think it's a great pick. Yeah, I'm not laughing nearly as much as the, at the Washington Redskins no. than I am the New York Giants. It's, this, it's almost like when happy learned to putt. It's like, yeah. are they figuring <laughs> things out? 
Like, should yeah. we be worried? Now, again, it's still Washington. It's still Snyder. I'm sure they'll find a way to screw yeah. this up. But sitting here yeah. right now on Friday, it's like, well, they did some good things here. Yeah, they still got to add weapons for yeah. him. I think that's a big thing for him, allow him to be a facilitator. I mean, we talked about it in the offseason. If there's a situation that you, that you want Haskins to go to, it was the situation in New York when they had Odell. And they had Saquon, yeah. and and they were building their line. Like that would be more fearful for me as far as an Eagles fan perspective goes. But I I do like what they're doing in Washington as far as being able to sit there, work their board, be uncharacteristically patient, and go ahead and get their guy. Mark, let's talk about some of the remaining quarterbacks in the draft here. Your top guys, where you think that they might go. By the way, the New England Patriots did not select their quarterback of the future. How worried were you that they were going to go and do that? I wasn't that concerned. I mean, you know, when they're on the clock at 32 and you've got Drew Locke on the board, you sort of wonder for a second, would they pull the trigger on that? But, you know, one of the measurables that the Patriots reportedly look at is hand size. You know, it's apparently right. one of the reasons why they were high on Brady. Now, who knows if that's more old wives' tale than anything else. But, <laughs> you know, you look at Drew Locke and he has nine-inch hands. Like, that might be a reason why they would be a little bit skittish about perhaps drafting him at 32. And so, expecting them to go sort of offensive weapon when the board fell the way it did. I mean, my last sort of stab at a mock was Chris Lindstrom at 32. He comes off the board at 14, mm. and so... A lot of people disagreed with me on him. I had him as a, as a surefire lock round one talent, and because one team fell in love with him, I am absolutely correct. One of the strengths on him was what? Zone blocking, right? Zone blocking scheme. Yeah. And what does Atlanta yep. do perhaps more than anybody else? They zone block. There yeah, that's a fit. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when Lindstrom wasn't there, when some of the guys like, look, I would have been, I had talked to myself with a Dexter Lawrence at 32 because I thought, look, again... <laughs> Pats play a lot of bare front. Belichick, you know, think Will Fork, you think Ted Washington, you think Malcolm Brown, like he likes having yeah. a loose tackle and then pairing him with a three-tech or a four-tech type of player. I, I would have been okay with it at 32, not at 17, but again, I think we've covered that. I was seriously worried at 25 that Dexter Lawrence was going to be there. I was thrilled when he came off the board. I was so happy. And, you know, I, I thought um, Irv Smith might have been in play for them. Maybe, but I'm more of the mind they're going to draft Jay Sternberger tonight at 56. Like, I think that's probably so what we're going to see. And, and then, I, so I figured, look, you come to wide receiver, I probably would have gone the A.J. Brown route. I'm mean, probably a more complete receiver. Yeah. But this is one of those, you know, and Harry, you're getting a guy, you know, and what's the, the, the Patriots phrase and some other teams that are smart? You know, what can he do and what can – you know, Harry do right now. He can win some 50-50 throws. He can win in some contested catch situations. And yeah, there's concern about separation. He's got yak yak skills for days. He's got yak skills, and that's a huge part of the New England offense. And when you worry about separation, like they can scheme some stuff for him. That's what they do with a lot of their guys. And so I think it's a pick that makes some sense. So who do you expect to be the next quarterback off the board and possibly where to whom might still be looking? Oh, I mean... The Cardinals kind of screwed themselves. Now it's going to be really hard for them to deal Rosen now that we think about it. So maybe Rosen gets traded somewhere. I don't know. I, th I think the Rosen move probably happens now. I mean, that's probably when we're going to see that go down. Do you think it's, do you think it's the Bengals? I, uh, what would be the most <laughs> Gruden thing ever? <laughs> to draft a quarterback and then bring another in. Because you know what? He did it with RG3 and Kirk Cousins. No, I've been talking John Gruden. Oh, oh. Oakland's sitting there at 35. 
that's a potential. You might see Drew Locke there. I think Cincinnati at 42, um, if Locke is still on the board, he's probably going to be the pick, and that would that would be smart for them. Another name to think about, and, and this has been multiple mocks. Other people have said it. At 48, Ryan Finley to the Miami Dolphins. Oh, that's fascinating. The team fit might make some sense, right? You know, you look at Finley, you look at what the New England Patriots have run, and Chad O'Shea, their former wide receiver coach, now the offensive coordinator. I thought Finley would be a great fit in New England's offense, and so putting him in a time and rhythm system might make a lot of sense. And so I think Finley at 48, that would not shock me. And then when you start thinking about some of the other quarterbacks, Will Greer is going to come off the board tonight. It's just a matter of when and where. You know, Maybe that second pick that the Patriots have in the second round at 64, maybe the first third rounder at uh, 73. Jared Stidham and Tyree Jackson are probably the other names to watch. And then, of course, my watch truly begins with Brett Rippon. And you just wonder, when, if ever, do we hear his name? Mm. Or do I become Sir Alistair? I fought. I lost. And now I rest. Exactly, man. I have already, I, I know you were going a different direction with it, but now I have already talked myself into Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen going and getting themselves yet another quarterback. Why not? Let's just double dip, baby. Yeah, we'll double dip again. We'll do the RG3 Kirk Cousins scenario. They ended up getting one quarterback out of it for a while. So let's- What would be the most Snyder move of all? I'll give it to you. Yeah. Trace McSorley sometime on day two or early day He's three. He's a football guy. He's just a football guy. He's a football guy. Penn State kid. We got a lot of Penn State people in the DMV area. <laughs> yeah, give us that Big Ten quarterback, baby. Yeah, that's an exciting quarterback battle. Trace McSorley versus Air. Trace McSorley, Case Keaton, and Colt McCoy for the backup spot behind Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> Gosh, give me credentials now to cover that. barn burner. Well, Mark, thank you for joining me today. I know you're a busy man, so we'll go ahead and get out of here so we can get this up for the gentle listeners. Do you have any any last words before we enter uh, day two of the 2019 NFL Draft? What will be worse, the aftermath of the Daniel Jones selection or the Battle of Winterfell? <laughs> Where will we see more carnage? Look, man, Giants Twitter. I think they've got Winterfell. I've got. I think they've got that battle beat. I mean, Giants Twitter is basically, yeah, on, on the receiving end of Valerion's Blue Ice Fire. <laughs> Blue Ice Fire is a little bit weird, but yeah, you know where I'm going. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So yeah, keep an eye on Giants Twitter. Good luck. Pray for them. I mean, I know they're rivals. They're going through a little bit of something right now. Yeah. There is a there's and a point where it's not where abuse is not funny. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> it's not funny anymore. Yeah. Can't we can't be too big of a bully. So okay. Maybe we'll lighten up for Give him forty eight, give him the weekend, and then start hammering them again on Monday. I'm just morning. gonna continue to post like stats about his adjusted accuracy on Twitter. So I'm just just don't even say anything. Just drop the numbers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's a perfect point. Daniel Jones adjusted a completion percentage of two. Send tweet. So that's going to do it for the QB Sco Show episode 23. Thank you for tuning in here at Bleeding Green Nation. All of this is brought to you by SB Nation. Remember, if you haven't yet, smash that subscribe button. Give us five stars in Apple Podcasts. Leave a funny review that we'll read on the Kiss and Soul Lack Show. And we thank you for tuning in here to the QB Sco Show.